0: In part two of my conversation with Graydon Snyder, we dug a little deeper into his rationale for exploring career avenues during his postdoc. The strategies and resources he used, the people he met, the notes he took. I also took the opportunity to ask Graydon what the day-to-day of a data scientist looks like today and how to prepare if you want to access this flourishing domain.
1: I guess one of the breakthroughs was I I, um, was talking with one of the guys who was actually organizing the... um, uh, seminar that I was speaking of, and he did it in such a elegant way. Like it, it was, it was so devoid of uh, specialized language. He he just gave this wonderful overview of of what he did um, in just a matter of minutes. And I I checked back on him the year after, and he had gotten a job at Ernst and Young as a consultant.
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So uh, welcome to part two of my interview with Graydon Snyder. Uh, in part one, we, we, Graydon shared his journey from, uh, grad, from undergrad to uh, her, his PhD in chemistry and then to a postdoc that opened uh, his horizons uh, in, in, a, in a great ways, even geographically. Um, and uh, now where we got to the story was year four, uh when uh he started thinking of what was what, what the next steps was were going to be professionally for him so uh graden uh what was the the reflection what what were the the questions that arose and how did you um how did you go about garnering different information to to make a an informed decision of what you were going to do next
1: Maybe one of the lucky things was that I wasn't the only one making this discovery at the at the time. So I started to spend more time with postdocs that were in a similar mindset, and there there was kind of a zeitgeist moment of some of the people that were organizing presentations and conferences at the postdoc level. uh, At this was in Halifax at this point that I was. starting to attend, that they, they were starting to invite speakers uh, that were showing some of the um, alternate careers. And so I was kind of primed for this already. Um, I think I wouldn't have gone if I didn't know ahead of time that that's where they were leading. But I was really happy to see that like, there was this sort of critical mass of people that had the same idea. They said, well, I've been doing my postdoc for four years now. Um, I'm probably not going to be a professor, but I seem to know things. Uh, What else is there? And and the patent office actually was one of the examples. um, That didn't directly appeal to me, but it was just kind of outside the box of like, oh, this person who had done, I think it was biochemistry, and now they uh, work uh, doing patent law, uh, working as a specialist in... um, Well, not not so specialized, because it could be anything, but it was like scientific-related patents that they were there to interpret. So that was just a flavor of what could be done. And so I was like thinking, okay, this is a good place to start, Um, just to find other people who had the same general agreement on what to do next.
0: And just a question uh, before you go on, was this uh, in in the context of seminars about careers or, you know, how, how did, what was the context that, that this information kind of got you uh, without, you know, uh, unexpectedly, let's say?
1: yeah so so it was a bit unusual because normally like you would expect that a postdoc would um, be in a super specialized area and they would only be talking about something that maybe five people in the room would understand but but the opposite of that was happening we We had these very uh collective ideas about our specialties have become such walls that we've broken down the ability to communicate so the the reaction to that was these conferences were organized, and I'm forgetting how. What level this happened, but um, they they were just organized in a way that anyone from any specialty could actually approach them. So they were very open ended, deliberately um, stripping away the language that you would normally expect to see in a scientific talk uh, to break down some of these barriers.
0: And this was uh, again, I'm just digging a little bit. If you try to remember, was it organized by the department, by students? I'm just curious uh, because it's a really cool initiative. I'm not sure that it's very widespread yet.
1: Yeah, so I think maybe it was particular to Halifax. It was in the biochemistry department. Um, because of the work I was doing, I, I kept, uh, you know, on certain email lists. So I'd gone to join and like we, were, I was working in the same building at one point. So so I was tuned to it, but it, it wasn't inviting literally all the postdocs in the campus, but it was for the bios, like in the sciences, basically. Um but, but, just nature of the building you you tend to attract the most people from you know who are working directly near you but but that happened to be a large department, so um, there was a lot of um, critical mass just for the numbers that they could reach within that just within the department
0: and and apart from uh, uh like a patent officer or something like that what do you remember other uh, other uh that that surprise you with what they were doing uh, with their their
1: degree? I wouldn't say that they were too strange. It was just uh, some some were more like uh, working in um, uh, non-NGOs. There was somebody who had just worked in industry and was just describing how once they started in industry, like they stopped publishing papers, which made it hard to get back in um, that particular story was a bit curious because they, they did eventually become a professor. Oh, wow, okay. But they spent this time in industry just to give some perspective of what it's like over on the dark side. That's
0: interesting. And, and again, it, this kind of co- corroborates some stories that i've had on, on the show with with guests about the fact that you can go try you know dip your toes in in the industry pool and come back again if you wait uh, 10 uh, 10 years uh, you know the more you wait the the, the harder it gets but uh, it's really interesting that you say that and uh, and i think people out there listening uh, it it can help them maybe remove some fear of going to see go and see and, and and going to to try and and talking with their pi or 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 with their department and saying look i'm taking a hiatus i'm going to try something you know keep my uh, don't uh, you know i'm not leaving i'm just taking a break and trying something and it's doable you just need to you just need to be able to negotiate that in a way uh, but uh, but it's interesting that that you state that what about you so that got you started into oh okay there's these people actually have interesting careers maybe not careers that i would follow but what what's out there for me right how how did you go about uh finding that out uh how was your exploration did you go did you call people did you go have coffee with people how was that
1: i i did actually there there was a, a I guess one of the breakthroughs was i i um was talking with one of the guys who was actually organizing the um uh, seminar that I was speaking of, and he did it in such a elegant way. Like it, it was, it was so devoid of um, specialized language. He he just gave this wonderful overview of of what he did um, in just a matter of minutes. And I I checked back on him the year after, and he had gotten a job at Ernst and Young as a consultant. And so I was just talking to him, asking him what the experience was like getting that job and how you go about becoming a consultant. Because at that point, it looked like a viable idea. It wasn't for sure, but I was just thinking, well, what if I, you know, try, you know, consultant is kind of like where you take your science and your knowledge and and you kind of apply it to a problem over the matter of maybe weeks, months, years, but not forever. And he had such a positive experience um, that he... Uh, kind of got me hooked on at least the idea of trying something like that
0: so you, you reached out did you uh just out of, again out of curiosity and because i know i was
1: uh
0: as, as a graduate student and as a student at that time i'm more on the shy side uh thinking oh i'm how am i going to approach this person i don't know how easy was it uh to you know to get to to to, uh, to get in touch with this person well you had already seen him live but how was it i don't know if you had other experiences of, of having like let's say informational interviews with other people but in your experience how is it, how is it how easy is it to approach someone and to ask hey could you talk with me about you know your job or what the reality of your industry is
1: yeah, so uh, that was like one of the first times I reached out to someone that I specifically watched transition from a postdoc into um, a, a, a career outside of academia. But uh, it got easier. I also um, was actually more interested in not so much the stories at this point, because I sort of built up a, a, an accumulation of narratives of, of like what people did. But I was more interested in the how. So what, what the the thing I wanted to learn next was how to. Um, pursue these interests so uh, the first thing is is you have to unlearn a couple of things like an academia cv uh is is like t- 10 30 pages thick it's huge <laughs> yeah. um you're trying to show all these things you did every poster presentation every talk you gave and that's not what they want to see in industry they want to see you fit everything you've done on one or two pages Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and they they don't really care about your publications unless you really are going to work in a domain that's very you know very close to whatever you're going to do it's true that it's something you need to learn to do a short short uh, form cv for sure so what other lessons did did you you know of all these points that you kind of tallied up what you know what other important ones do you do you uh, can you share with us
1: um, so what else I learned, I, I, well, I kept learning to just, um, show up for things, uh, to, to network. Um, I think the most important thing that they teach you is like these networking skills that, um, in academia, I mean, you sort of have them, but, but you, you kind of seek out people who have precisely your like, um, same interests so that like you can, uh, maybe author a paper, but, but networking in this sense is, is different because you, um, might be talking to them years from now like you you keep in touch um and and you try to be honest about it you don't say i want to talk to you because i want your job you you really do try to make it a conversation but just lots of little conversations and um so that was probably a habit i i was learning a little bit better
0: building relationships with, with with other people that were not not in your direct circle
1: yeah, it's like you you could call it just friendship. That's maybe the simplest, but 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 it's like it it's like you you both know what you're doing, which is that you're you're both a talking career related. So so you're kind of having these conversations that are on topic. Um but you might not be explicit about looking for a job, but you're planting these seeds in in their mind that you're interested in things and vice versa. Like they'll tell you like what's out there uh when they learn of your interest so it's just these kind of conversations that slowly happen they become more natural with time but uh they they weren't really in my mindset at first so i had to learn a bit about that too
0: so uh, in in all these conversations relationships that you developed uh eventually i imagine uh, and tell me tell me if, if i'm wrong but that this position of data scientist appeared in, in your uh, in your radar uh, how how did that come up
1: it's funny because i 'm not sure when I first heard the term um, it, it, it happened sometime in two thousand and fifteen and it just popped out of it seemingly nowhere but uh, I think like it wasn't on the front page of a newspaper data scientist is the next big jo- job it's more like I just kind of heard it somewhere at some point and i, I can 't even say anywhere where exactly but <laughs> but it, it somehow planted in my mind and as soon as I heard the term and what it what really attracted me was when it was described to me it was like these were all the things that aligned with my traits um, like a bit of data exploration a little bit of um, statistics, math um, non-specialization you kind of deliberately go into areas that you may have not originally been familiar with but you apply these tools that you've carried with you um you do a little bit of programming but you're not known as a software developer so like it's clear that you still come from an academic background um you try experiments um they have to fail faster maybe because you're an industry but that was also something i wanted was something where like the the experimental cycle was maybe a little more um, efficient than in academia like you cut some corners by um, maybe you can't pursue uh, research for research sake if you find something interesting that's not profitable you might have to abandon it but that's the price you pay Um, (laughs) but you're still pursuing things that are interesting Um, it's it's that sort of ensemble of qualities that when I heard about them this is something I wanted to pursue and and that was the closest thing to a eureka moment i've had in my career it was like okay of course this makes sense i really need to do this
0: excellent and so so just just to be sure the, you after the four and a half years of postdoc uh and and we'll talk in, so, we'll talk shortly on on what happened next but you didn't you didn't look for a second postdoc
1: Oh so actually the funny thing is I did actually do a second post talk.
0: <laughs> oh okay so so what ha- so can you just shortly or quickly talk about that and actually I want to I kind of want to see what happened and what brought you to to the position you're in today.
1: Yeah so uh things kind of happened quickly after that. Um my wife found a permanent job in Montreal and since she moved for me uh to Halifax It was only fair and natural that uh, she we both like Montreal. So, of course, it wasn't uh, quid pro quo exactly. Uh, She she found something that I was uh, not exactly against. But it did mean that I had to wrap things up in Halifax and think about the long term because her job was um, for sure going to be uh, on the scale of uh, many years. So when uh, she moved and I moved uh, shortly thereafter, I used my contacts within uh, academia to find another postdoc. So my, my supervisor found a um, person that I should get in touch with. So kind of taking a bit of that networking, but uh, not exactly. It's uh, just uh, a little bit. Uh, dropped by their office and said hi and then started a postdoc. And actually, funny enough, that was uh, another air quality. Okay. But
0: <laughs> this time
1: it was indoor air quality
0: indoor air okay okay good
1: but uh it was indoor air quality in china so i still got a trip out of it
0: it's funny you see what i really love about these interviews is i'm always surprised at at learning what people do and what even the different uh scientific domains you know h- how the day-to-day is in in, in those domains you know I, air quality I it's for me it's it's totally new although my background, my undergrad was in in microbiology, and I remember around me at the time there was there were people doing these tests, uh, the, these air quality tests, but micro microbiological tests. But on the chemistry side, I you know I didn't uh, I hadn't I haven't crossed anyone who has this profile and who has does this has done this the way that you have. And I would have not imagined that it that it implicated traveling for uh, for these types of projects
1: yeah it was it was just another uh, bit of luck, but um, the interesting thing was that it it fit into the transition because it wasn't so much about the chemistry anymore they they really needed somebody the project was uh, it was kind of the opposite of my first project where they were just starting, and everything was built from the ground up. This one was just wrapping up so they needed more help analyzing the data so this was actually a good chance for me to say okay i'm going to jump into this project it's almost done i'm going to write some uh programs Uh, at this point i was writing in matlab so uh did some programs in matlab that basically just analyzed a lot of the data quickly um originally they were using spreadsheets uh to to aggregate and this was just like a nice moment of like taking some of my previous knowledge and transferring it because this was supposed to take um, like a month to compile this data but i realized a very like small program could do the work uh, much quicker so i wrote something that basically uh, saved a summer student's uh, job from being (laughs) uh, opening a bunch of spreadsheets over and over again (laughs)
0: If you're preparing to launch your podcast, you may be asking yourself what hosting platform to use. I launched Papa PhD on Blueberry because I wanted a professional service that would interface with my WordPress website, that would robustly broadcast Papa PhD to all platforms, and that would allow me to grow my podcast in years to come. If you're starting a serious podcast project, do consider one of the first podcasting hosts out there offering state-of-the-art services, including IAB-certified statistics, based on years of experience in the podcasting space. So, go to papaphd.com forward slash blueberry, that is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, or use the promo code PAPAPHDBLUE, in one word, on the Blueberry website to unlock a one-month free trial of the platform. And now, back to the interview. So it it made it much more efficient from yeah what it sounds okay and so you were you were now back in Montreal uh you were doing this this postdoc which fit well with the kind of flow of your of your this career let's say at the point so you're wrapping something up uh how so did you when did you start looking um and how was the process uh and also did you coming from you know with your experience, with the, the, the your postdoc experience, did you have all the tools to to get into the position that you are today, or did you have to go get some other training or certification?
1: Uh, so there were two things I, I needed to do. Still, uh, one of them was uh, taking more programming classes. It it was uh, something I could do online because it it's uh, not too hard to teach that on online courses and I guess everyone's doing online stuff now but it's (laughs) it it felt more novel because um, online universities of course have a bad rap but but there was like the the growth of Coursera and likewise other uh, institutions that that were kind of legitimizing the courses that they were offering and so I took a few of those that really helped uh, just to build up some uh, new skills that did not take terribly long to at least get off the ground and the other thing was to have a better understanding of what businesses are looking for so like how do you present yourself and it just so happened that mcgill because i was at this postdoc when i returned to montreal was back at mcgill um, but not in the chemistry department uh this was in the health um but this This allowed me to still be on campus, and the business school was actually hosting uh, free weekly uh, seminars uh, for 10 weeks, so it was 10 uh, three-hour lectures. Uh, Each time, uh, the business school, it was meant for graduate students and postdocs in the sciences who were specifically looking at careers outside of academia, so that seemed like an obvious fit, so I attended all of them, and... Each time there would be a guest lecture. sometimes from a consulting firm, sometimes from a different kind of business. And they would just talk about some of the strategies you need to do in interviews, things you need to think about, and um, what kind of careers you want. How do you describe yourself to another person? And so I was taking a lot of notes on that um, as, as I went. And uh, there's this thing in... Um, when, when you're doing consultants, uh, you, you have to do a lot of problem solving. So I was practicing some of these, uh, they call it case cracking. And like, you just have to be a little better at thinking on your feet than maybe you're used to. You're not writing an exam necessarily on paper. You have to be on a blackboard thinking out loud as you go through the problem. So I was practicing that.
0: So I have two questions actually. Uh, the first question has to do with, uh, the programming. Uh, if you know a listener out there is thinking about data science w- in terms of programming what is the programming language or uh, what should they aim towards in terms of learning something that they haven't, that they ha- that they don't know yet in terms of, of, of that
1: I'd say like the very first thing is start something that seems comfortable because um, it's probably a worse experience if you go into something that you hear is a popular language and you don't find yourself uh, enjoying the experience and then it kind of sours you to all programming so you kind of want to look for a gateway uh, into that world Um, it's also important to know that like when you learn these languages they evolve and change and they can become very um, fatty like you can kind of like say oh this uh, like R used to be very popular and it's not It has not lost any value it's just that it's not as popular as, as it was before so it's not doesn't mean it's worse but it's now python uh, has become kind of the maybe the top one to pursue
0: it's true it is the one that you hear and that you see uh, a lot uh, on the media so what would be a gateway language a programming language language you would say
1: um for academics matlab is probably the place that you might start but um I would discourage spending too much time in MATLAB because no industry uses it <laughs> that I am aware of. Uh, it's just because it's a licensed software and it can be expensive. Uh, there's a free version, but it's just not as flexible for what you might use in, um, outside of academia. So R is probably the one that I would just recommend as kind of like a nice combination of industry and academic-friendly.
0: Okay. And so this was the first question because I think uh, it, it's important and it's like I wouldn't know about about MATLAB and, and R and, and I've I've heard about Python and you hear about it a lot but uh, uh, it's I, I it's funny because R I think is, uh, is has been around for a while because I remember being in undergrad and and uh, I believe people were already especially people in uh, uh, geographical um what is it called Uh Geographical information systems. Oh, RGS, yeah. Yes, I I think I remember my colleagues were uh, around working on, on those types of things. They already used R at the time but um anyway i i found it i found it imp- important to share it with the 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 listeners uh the second question had to do with uh these notes that you took about okay about you know these people coming in and giving you advice on how to interview how to prepare um especially for the the, the case cracking like you were saying i as far, i have one of my guests Sati, he did um he did interview for one of these big consulting companies, and he did tell me about this story of being in front of a whiteboard and uh, having a, a problem thrown at him, and uh, and, and now having to juggle, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended, uh, juggle with it, and 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 try to to give to give a whatever answer, and then not knowing if it was satisfactory or not. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's it's an interesting exercise. Now, of those things, do you have what what do you think, or what would you say is the two or three most important things that you could that you could share with the listeners that you still remember okay learning this really changed the the game for me
1: so i think the three things that you would want to emphasize in an interview that academic institutions don't teach you by default is um Number one is most interviews end up being, do I want to work with this person? Right under number one is number two, which is, do they have the specific skills? But before that, um, that's something you have less control over. You have, you do have more control over um, showing how you can network.
0: Okay. So is this someone I'd like in my team? Basically, Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, okay.
1: Exactly. So, and it's not so, and I have to be careful not to say that it's, that you just have to be friendly, it's, it's you're trying to show that you can collaborate. Um, you, you really wanna show off your ability to not only do a project, but did you do that project in isolation and didn't talk to anyone the whole time? Because that's probably not how you're gonna operate at this job. So number one, can you collaborate on a project? Another thing would be how to be succinct. Don't try to maximize your pages of, of your resume. See if you can fit it on one page. Maybe you'll need two, but at least start with trying to fit it on one as a challenge to yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, uh, once you, when you come out of, of uh, your, your degree, it is a challenge because you, you've learned to just add lines, add lines, add lines, and, and okay, it's better, it's better, it's better. And then, no, shorter is better, and succinct, succinct is the right word, right? Uh, strip it down to the most important things and the ones that really count.
1: Maybe the third one is to learn how to uh, apply to places in, that uh, you didn't think about necessarily uh, initially. So, so what I mean is, don't um, go with the most obvious choice. Uh, I fell into this trap myself. I, I would apply to as like even with all these skills and everything. I was like, oh, I'm still thinking about chemistry, and like, why, why am I, like, why not just apply to all kinds of institutions? Uh, there's so many like things out there. Why why am I limiting myself? Why why am I not trying to apply to more areas? Big companies have all kinds of special uh, positions, like data science.
0: That's that's very interesting, and it, it is something that if you follow your you know your natural you know uh, way of thinking, you will you will go towards the logical things. It's really cool that you had the chance to to attend these these seminars because again, it's uh, it's information that. It's not easy to come upon just randomly like that, especially this one of, hey, go look in the places that your instinct is not taking you, but the other ones. And I I imagine this brings us to what you do today.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the question of how did I find uh, the job that I'm working at at Essence, um, that was also a bit unexpected, but my wife was just talking um, with her friend and it was just a simple conversation they were they were just chatting and she said oh i actually work at this company called essence and i think they're hiring data scientists so <laughs> i have to give my wife full credit for this case of networking because she did the networking for me
0: that's awesome uh
1: i was primed as soon as i saw the uh resume like sorry when, when i saw the job description and i looked at my own resume i said okay there's enough overlap between these two that it's least worth trying i i didn't have my hopes up uh but i had the right I guess mindset I could say when I applied. Hmm.
0: So uh, and and okay, this is like serendipity, and it's it's not something you could you could predict. But this because your mind was open and your radar was was open to things that were not straight in front of you. You know, I guess you also said you didn't uh, you, d- you didn't instinctively say, "Oh no, it's uh, it's unrelated." The fact that you had an open mind must have helped for sure. Um, now, my qu- my other question is, Ben, because it's a curiosity of mine is, so, and in the last few minutes of the interview, what do you do? What's your day to day? What is a data scientist? <laughs> right. and, and yeah, what do you do in your job? What's it all about?
1: Yeah, so it's like the long way of uh, coming to the final uh, topic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an evolving field. So one of the weird things about it is that what we do has changed over the even the couple of years I've started. So it used to be more about presenting and summarizing and analyzing. So it was a little more scientific in nature. Like you would um, take a lot of data, process it, and learn from it uh, and interpret it. That was the the, the basic idea and. Essence is a fashion um, online e-commerce company where um, what we do is ultimately um, we're in the e-commerce business, which means you come to our website, we sell um, items of fashion from uh, clothing, shoes, bags, and you order them, they come to your door. So there's a whole... Uh, chain of events that happens from the moment you click on something to the moment that arrives in your door. And I'm there just to help um, understand some of the trends. But what I've been doing more lately is uh, working on personalization and recommendation work there. So I'm helping uh, with the ideas behind how we make the website more um, tailored to the individual, Um, because we have a lot of things on our website. There's um, as little as 30,000 and as many as 60,000 products available for sale on any given day.
0: So a lot of different interactions and paths people can follow. Yeah. Uh, okay.
1: And so it's, it's ever evolving, um, like the world of fashion itself. It's not stationary, even though we sell a lot of things. Even more impressively is how many of those products are new. Because they have short life cycles, they come on the website. We have limited supply. Um, they come from often small designers who don't mass produce uh, these items. So uh, they come, they go, and then it's 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 another round, um, another uh, release of of a, of a set of clothing of shoes uh, from particular collaborations that are short lived. So you have to keep up with this constantly. It's it's never staying put. And that's a big area.
0: <laughs> yeah, though no, I, I imagine. And so, you know, you we hear uh, now my, my my head my brain is going totally different than the uh, different places than the career. But uh, we we hear uh, a lot about uh, algorithms. Uh, so, are you working on? Um, on crunching the data to optimize algorithms that are behind the page and to because you were saying tailor the page to a user so if I start buying this this and that then you'll suggest this this and that uh, is, is would it, would this be the kind of thing
1: yeah exactly it's uh, it's based on recommendations which can come in different flavors depending on the context but ultimately um, everyone's familiar with Netflix uh, recommending you movies uh, it's a bit like that. There's new. There's different challenges. Like Netflix doesn't run out of a copy of any movie. No. <laughs> so they can recommend it to everyone and it's safe, but we can't do that. So uh, you, you can say that there's some uh, hidden challenges that uh, can crop up. The other thing that uh, changed from when I first started is that um, recommendations are something that has to work at scale. So um, if I analyze data, I go from big to small. I take like a lot of data, I digest it, and then I analyze it and it can come out as a summary graph or a table or or what have you but the uh, recommendations is is it starts big and it ends big because you have to supply the service to everyone so now we're finding that engineering is is a big part of what data science uh and data scientists are uh not necessarily themselves but they must interact and collaborate with these people because you have to be ready that you come up with an idea and you have to be able to make this idea work um, at a certain level of efficiency speed
0: so you interact you you interact with teams of engineers that's what i'm understanding
1: yes uh, data engineers software engineers so there's a whole pipeline now
0: now uh, just to get back a little bit to the career aspect how was that interview so i'm this you know i'm i'm Graydon snyder i studied chemistry i did atmospheric chemistry and atmospheric science and now i'm here at essence uh you know proposing to you that i'm the candidate the right candidate for this job as data scientist how did that interview go how how was that conversation that's my curiosity
1: yeah um so i mean long story short it went well but uh that's why you hired me but But it it was uh, not something I walked into expecting uh, that it would go well. So I I was pretty open about where I was coming from. I, in a very succinct way, uh, gave an explanation of why I was interested in analyzing data. I gave some examples of how I had written um, my blog. I had published um, articles in Canadian running uh, on the science of running. So I was trying to demonstrate that I had this ability to take um, complex problems, turning them understandable, but also interesting. So I, I gave a story of why I was there. I also had my one page resume. So I took all of my academic, uh, normally you list uh, like three pages of your uh, awards and scholarships. If you can dig them up, if you have that many, I, I compressed it to one line.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: I realized they didn't care. So I just said, I'm just going to tell you how much all of the scholarships were worth if I add them together
0: well and that and well for uh for someone who likes numbers again it's a it's very it suits you very very well uh and just uh, again uh, uh putting myself on the other side what do you so that it worked you got the job but what do they expect from a candidate uh, a company like this uh so imagine someone's out there finishing their postdoc kind of like you what is the employer looking for and and already you you told us that you had learned how to how to kind of talk to, you know to, to go through an interview, but what are the um, the key elements that they're looking for in someone who wants to be a data scientist at at this level
1: so they look for seniority now um, there, there is like a little bit of the challenge once a job gets told uh, w- w- once a job gets um, Advertised as popular, and I think forget some article said sexiest job of the 21st century. Um, you you can decide if that's true or not on your like own. Uh, but it's like it's it's attracted a lot of people now, so the competition has gone up. Uh, so now it's like you know, not like I, I was lucky when I applied when I did because I think now it's like oh well, we want a data scientist with X number of years of experience. So I, I'd say be even more open to like where you start. Uh, just to get some of that. uh, There's a lot of smaller companies that are really interested in getting at least one or two people uh, started. So you want to know if you're going to be alone or on a team of data scientists. I think you want to brace yourself for either possibility, depending on where you work. You might want to specialize a little bit because you will work with software engineers who have this paragraph-long list of um, acronyms that they're comfortable with and and it's helpful to at least be familiar with a few of them so continue learning not only data science but like what kinds of fields will digest what you create as an output
0: okay that that's all that's all very very good advice especially i think uh, if you tell, if you're telling me that now, uh, the you know large companies are asking for seniority for sure, going to a smaller player and where you can gain the experience, and then after what uh, two three years, uh, you, what what's a, what what's expected when you say that they want seniority, two three years experience, three to three to five, what have you been seeing?
1: I think that well, like most places, that, I mean that was a good piece of advice I got years ago. It's like be careful when they say like five years, they don't necessarily uh make that a hard limit they they okay. would like somebody with five years but three might be fine uh so so if you have if you already have experience like don't uh limit yourself but but to know that if they say five years you should at least have one uh year of experience just that would be a or, or something that you could uh argue this counts as one year's worth of experience so
0: okay cool could it be something like a postdoc in a, in a specific like yeah like what you did yeah,
1: yeah exactly.
0: Okay. Uh, Great. Sadly, we're, we're running out of time. I, I, I'm having a lot of fun uh, in this interview. Uh, but um, I think now I'm going to, you know, it's gotten to the point where I'm going to ask you if people want to, you know, ask you questions, uh, f- find you on the web where they can. Uh, and you mentioned that you're blogging now for, for your company. So if people want to read about data science, maybe you can also share that.
1: Sure. Um uh, so if if you google um medium.com uh, essence tech uh, that will be where you will find our uh, tech blog. It's now at least 50 articles, uh many of them by data engineers but also by many of our uh, data scientist uh team members including myself. And for professional contact i'd say linkedin is the best option so Graydon snyder is well, should be like the very first thing that shows up in linkedin
0: excellent i will share both links uh on on the notes page of, of the episode Graydon, i had a really great time uh talking with you your story is super interesting Thank you so much for giving me your time and um, and for for telling your story. I think it's an inspiring one. Uh, I think it's it's very uh, it's very representative of what people can expect today. And again, uh, thank you for opening kind of the the window on what being a data scientist is and how you can access the that 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 space. So yeah, thank you, thank you for having come on on Papa PhD.
1: And thanks for having me.
0: I just want to take a moment to let you know that you can help me end the show by leaving a star rating and a comment on your podcasting app. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash now and become a supporter. For the equivalent of a coffee per month, you'll be helping me immensely with the recurring costs of hosting and producing the show. Again, thank you for being a true fan. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic post-grad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.